Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum, and I'm joined today by John Lockman, the Technical Director of the Austin Forum, and also Denise Holt, the host of the Spatial Web AI Podcast. Thanks for joining us, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Jay, for having me. Well, John and I are going to be asking you most of the questions today, Denise, but we'll probably chime in a little bit, too. Um, but what, before we get into this and explain to our audience what Web 3.0 is, why it's important, who it's going to matter to, and how, why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself first and your podcast? I have a podcast, the Spatial Web AI podcast, and um, it's basically an education platform to, you know, let people know about the Spatial Web, which is Web 3.0. It's the Web 3.0 that's coming, and it's coming soon. And the uh, AI that is enabled and empowered uh, throughout the Spatial Web, which is called Active Inference AI. So, yeah, it's a, it's an education platform. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to diving into that podcast. We're big podcast fans ourselves, and I listen to lots. But let's start with a softball question for you. Can you define Web 3.0 for our audience in simple terms? Yes. So Web 3.0 is basically the next evolution of the Internet. Um, the Internet is evolving. There's a company called Versus AI they're launching an operating system later this year on top of the spatial web. Uh, in order to do what they wanted to do, they needed to uh, create a new protocol because we've been in the World Wide Web, Web 2.0, and the World Wide Web is basically a library of pages, you know, and documents and all of the information exchanges on the domain endpoints, right, on the websites. And that is why we've had a lot of issues with security and, and different things like that. You know, those web domains are operated by a centralized entity. And so they are in control of all the data that's exchanging. We're moving into, instead of a library of pages, a library of spaces. Spaces where every object, person, place, or thing in any space, in any reality, becomes a domain. And that is the Web 3.0 that we're moving into. And there's a foundation, the Spatial Web Foundation, developing the core standards around the, the new protocols, the HSTP and the HSML. HSTP is Hyperspace Transaction Protocol, and HSML is the Hyperspace Modeling Language. And that's the protocol we're, we're advancing to. Instead of HTTP and HTML, we're going to HSTP and HSML. One of the other terms we hear a lot is just Web3. And how is that actually different from what Web3.0 is? Is Web3.0 more of a standard or? Yeah, so Web3, um, to me, Web3 is more uh, the technologies in the space. You know, within Web3, you've got, you know, blockchain, AR, VR, AI, um, IoT, you know, you've got all of these um, technologies that, uh, you know, they, they enable this decentralized web space that's been envisioned, 
but the core foundational structure for interoperability between them hasn't been there. That's why we've had so much of an issue with, you know, implementing all of these Web3 technologies. So what the spatial web protocols, HSTP and HSML, are doing is laying this foundation, this common network now for all of these technologies to come on top of and, you know, join up and be interoperable, interoperable between them. Okay, Denise, let me jump in there just for a second. I think now, finally, it's clear to me. I think what you're saying is that the Web 3.0 protocols enable lots of new functionality, including this spatial web, this web that extends to physical objects in different spaces. And that Web 3 is a set of technologies that will be enhanced and made more powerful and reliable sitting on these new protocols. It's not that cryptocurrencies and AR and VR and these things don't exist now, but in a Web 3.0 environment, the set of Web 3 technologies, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, et cetera, become more useful and more powerful. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And so, for instance, you know, there was a lot of hype around metaverses, you know, last year where everybody was getting so excited because, you know, of this whole idea of, you know, what virtual spaces can do for, you know, not only um, things like gaming and stuff like that, but also for like companies doing, you know, um, experiences, you know, uh, for meeting and different things for within their organization. But one of the biggest problems within these metaverse spaces was they were siloed applications. When when you just consider things like gaming, you know, people will buy, you know, all kinds of assets within the game, right? Things that um, enhance their own identity within the game, things that uh, give them more powers or abilities within the game, um, or just cool like weapons or, or outfits or, or anything like that, right? But they're stuck within that game. Even in metaverses, they're stuck within that metaverse. What the spatial web protocol is going to do is make it to where all of your digital assets can move from space to space to space. And what it does is it blends reality and um, and these virtual spaces. This the the spatial web protocol is really going to give us the foundation to have this augmented world that we all envision, but the foundation has not been there, you know, for this blended reality world. So it's pretty powerful. So how does the Web 3.0 standard sort of encourage that concept of a decentralized web? And how is that different from, say, our our, our web in 2.0 today? So our our 2.0 web is not so I, the idea of the information being decentralized is one thing, but all of the data exchanges on the domain endpoints. So that means that centralized organizations have control over those data exchanges and, you know, ownership of those data, that data. And I'll give you a really good in, in instance of how that switches within the spatial web. So right now, you know, you've got all of these really awesome machine learning tools, right? These AI tools like ChatGPT and, and stuff like that. Well, organizations, big corporations are telling their employees don't use ChatGPT within the company. Why? Because it opens up the proprietary data of that company to a third-party organization, OpenAI because all of the data is exchanging within the OpenAI server. And, you know, it doesn't need to be that way. So when you talk about 
the web two environment that we are all operating in right now, the World Wide Web, and trying to use all of these extended reality uh, technologies, we're still operating in this unsecured environment that is still very centralized controlled. Now, when you take that to the spatial web, the web 3.0 environment where you know, every single uh, person, place, or thing in any space becomes a domain, then all of the interaction, all of the exchanges are permissionable at every touch point. That's baked into the protocol where everything has to have a credential. Um, everything has to, um, you know, be permissioned for exchange. So that puts the, that takes the, um, ownership of the data and the ability to decide what happens to that data, who accesses it in control of the user, it's self-sovereign identity. So Denise, I, I, I hear what you're saying and we need to have a more decentralized, secure, zero trust enabled spatial web. And those things kind of go together. If everything is part of this new spatial web, then you need to assume zero trust between most of those things. You want to give people control over their own data and over every interaction, requests of that data, usage of that data, et cetera. So is that one of the great selling points of Web 3.0, in addition to being spatial, that it is got a better security model? And is this powered by blockchain? Yeah, it is. And, you know, for instance, to give you an example, uh, within the spatial web, say you're going to go to the doctor, you know, you can determine how much of your information that doctor has access to. You can set a timer on it to where it expires. You, you determine what you're uh, allowing them to access. But then the spatial web also opens up, it, it enables this zero trust architecture. So what I mean by that is an example would be right now, like say you're gonna go to a bar, you have to sit there and hand over your ID with all this you know, really sensitive information to a perfect stranger to prove your age. Within this spatial web architecture, there's already these context markers that know and understand you're of age, right? So you don't have to reveal any sensitive information to anybody. That check and balance is already within the system to where it's just a matter of you'll walk up to a, a place and, you know, now, you know, at this point, probably scan your phone. At other points, there'll be other sensors that it's just you can either enter or you'll be, you know, held up. And maybe you're visiting from another country, maybe something like that, you know, so they just go, hey, you know, you didn't you pass and then you have to show your passport or something like that. Right. But for the most part, it's going to make this uh, kind of seamless existence of these things are already known, but you're not having to reveal the sensitive information to third parties at every touch point. You know, it's already baked into the knowledge graph of the spatial web. Yeah, you touched on kind of digital identity and online security. Is that is that kind of where you see a big role of of Web three? Is that now that I can carry my data, I'm I'm more in control of my identity. And that information, how does that work exactly? So the way the spatial web protocol works, you know, you have the, the HSTP, the hyperspace transaction protocol, and then you have the programming language 
hyperspace modeling language. And what HSML does is it bakes context into every person, place, or thing in any space, right? So um, the protocol then can track thing, you know, provide contextual information about location, activities, identities, you know, credentials, all of those things. And the HSML, because it makes context into all of the objects and entities in any space, it also makes context into the interrelationships between all things in all spaces. So, you know, that's what informs the AI to be able to make the decisions on, you know, uh, what it believes to be true at any given time and updates in real time. So, you know, there's a lot of security baked into that, but, you know, a lot of that has to do with the protection of the identity, the control over the, the spaces and the domains by the user versus, you know, big organizations. So Denise, of course, a big buzzword a few years ago was internet of things, IOT, um, the buzz around the phrase has died down a little bit and uh, buzz around the terms like edge computing is growing, but nowhere near the peak buzz of IoT. And it seemed like the problem with IoT was there just wasn't a standard set of protocols for all these devices to talk to each other. Now, more recently, there's a protocol for home devices to talk to each other called Matter that the big boys are you know, mm -hmm. gradually adopting. But it sounds to me like this Web 3.0 is the ultimate lingua franca, if you will, for all yeah. devices. And so it's it's not that it was designed to create an IoT, but essentially that is that is what it's going to create, right? Everything will be part of a new spatial web and thus everything will be able to talk appropriately with permissions, et cetera, to everything else in the spatial web, right? Right. So the spatial web, you can think of the spatial web as a nervous system for the planet. And the, the protocol and the context uh, programmed into all things in the spaces within the network, what that does is that basically provides a digital twin of everything, right? So that you have this virtual representation of physical things and spaces, you know, um, everything from, you know, me and my things in my home, in my city, in my country, in the planet, right? So then all of those things can be, you know, they're all tied together on this universal domain graph. Okay, so the difference between active inference AI, which is enabled through the spatial web, and what we've seen with machine learning and deep learning AI is that those are just algorithm uh, applications, right? They're siloed applications, just like any other software application, right? And they're trained off of big data, lots of data points fed into it so that it can start to recognize patterns because they're pattern matching machines. And that's, that's really all they are, but they get good enough they get so good at, at doing that pattern recognition that they start to seem like they're actually thinking on their own, but they have no awareness, no perception, you know, no ability for any of that. Now, the thing with the active inference AI is it can look outward into the world and it can perceive 
a sensed, you know, a sensed world through IoT sensors, through cameras, through, you know, machines, robots, you know, all these sensors. So the IoT plays a huge role in the spatial web, but it plays a role in informing the AI of what is happening within the world. And then the HSML that makes context into it, into everything, it, it, informs the AI of actual relationships between things and knowledge about things, you know, the, um, the details and the parameters and the, you know, um, you know, all of the contextual, you know, information about things. So between those two things, the, the HSML programming language and between all of the sensor data, whether it's the IoT sensors or cameras or things like that, that informs the AI to where instead of machine learning, where you're just feeding it tons of, of random historical data with active inference AI, you are, it's, it's looking outward into the world at what's really happening at this moment now. And it's able to update its belief of what's happening in real time because it's taking in constant real updated data. And then it's, it's measuring it against what it knows to be true about these things in these spaces. I see. So in, in, instead of the traditional train model and then use it to inference over and over and over, but the model doesn't change until you decide to retrain it in active inferencing AI, it is constantly ingesting data, making decisions, even perhaps for things it's not been trained to do formally with a large data set and constantly updating its own ability to perceive the world around it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what's really interesting about that is instead of requiring enormous amounts of data for it to, you know, process against every query, this can take any amount of data and make it smart. So we've, we've seen some decentralized apps out there, like, um, I don't know, I'd say probably some of the more famous are maybe like Mastodon or uh, Kabin and Lemmy. How do you see Web 3.0 enabling th those sort of tools in the Fediverse? And, and what, what does that mean for the future of the internet? What kind of tools are you talking about? Are you talking about the social tools? Are you talking about? Sure, social tools, uh, multimedia tools, you know, ways to share music, books. Um, you know, that seems to be where we kind of going back to the roots of where the internet started, right? Was people just being able to share uh, their, their own content in a kind of, like you said, in a way that they still own it. Right. That, that they can move around. Yeah. So what's really interesting to me in, and this is, this is what I see and what I've kind of seen, you know, with the Web3 space and you've had these dApps that, you know, okay, this is a dApp for, you know, it's like the YouTube, but a of decentralization. It's the, you know, messaging app of decentralization, that kind of a thing. Well, I think that a lot of those apps have been necessary because there wasn't this foundational language and structure. So, what I actually see is that in the spatial web, even some of the platforms may not be necessary. They'll maybe be shifted more to channels within the space, but the, the sharing I think is going to be more person to person. I think it's going to be more content from, you know, from one domain to the other. There's really no need for any, any middlemen um, unless they're actually providing some you know, some actual uh, 
at, you know, value add in it, you know? So then that's where it's really going to matter is what is the value add of these dApps? So that leads me to my next question, Denise, which is, can you give two or three examples of applications that businesses or consumers will find tremendously more useful when the spatial web and web 3.0 is fully implemented than the way we do things now? Yeah. So that's one of the exciting things to me that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier versus AI, they are launching their Cosm operating system at the end of the year. And the operating system is built on top of the spatial web. Um, and it's going to have two different sides of it, but one of them is, uh, an AI app store. And within this AI app store, anybody will be able to make an AI powered app application on the spatial web. And it's going to be easy for them to do. Um, the difference with these AI powered apps versus an app you could build like in the Apple App Store or Google Play or you know anything that we know from this web two environment is that you build an app in the Apple App Store, it's a siloed application, whether it's doing your banking, whether it's doing your shopping, whether it's doing whatever it's enabled to do, it's a game, whatever, it's a siloed application, a siloed piece of software. These AI-powered apps, which are called intelligent agents uh, within the spatial web, those apps are aware of each other. So the level of interoperability between the apps is going to be insane. It's going to open up so much more possibility and opportunity with what you can do with an app. And to give you an example of that, you know, um, like when, when Google Maps launched in the App Store, they didn't know that they were going to be able to track the traffic flow at the time. That was a that was a byproduct of them realizing, oh, everybody's got a GPS in their car. Now we can actually monitor the traffic flow. And that that opened up the ability of what their application could do. And that's just because of having that extra data point. When you talk about AI-powered apps that are aware of each other and are sharing knowledge between those apps, the, the level of interoperability and um, you know, the um the the data that's being shared and the insights that are happening between them. And then besides being aware of each other, they're also aware of the entire network. So they're able to pull from everything within the, the web. Um, so, and, and one, one distinction to make too is, you know, as the internet has evolved, right? Like we started out with, you know, TCP IP, killer app was email. And then we moved to the World Wide Web with the HTTP, HTML. Email didn't go away, right? It's just the protocol evolved to mm -hmm. enable new capabilities. That's all that's happening here is, you know, we're moving from this library of pages to open up to a library of spaces and objects, but all of it, it's backward compatible to all of it. And the spatial web is also compatible with all, um, you know, cloud data systems, edge computing, all of, you know, it's really tying it all into this space of just increased capability that is now going to be powered by AI. So it's pretty exciting. So Denise, you made a great point there about, you know, email didn't go away when we had the web and web 1.0 capabilities didn't go away when we introduced smartphones, social media, the web 2.0. Yeah. So 
when Web 3.0 protocols are implemented, even though you mentioned different protocols uh, beyond HTTP and hypertext markup language, HTML documents, all those things still exist. They don't break the current Web 2.0. So we can have a, I guess we can have a gradual rollout of Web 3.0, and there may be devices out there that are Web 3.0 capable, while many web servers are still just serving Web 2.0 functions and services. Is that right? Right. What's really interesting is, you know, the the connectivity is improving every day. You know, 5G, you've got, you know, Starlink and, you know, other companies that are all, you know, opening up the access to high-speed internet and high-speed data exchange and, and all of that, you know. So, things will continue to improve as all of those technologies improve. Everything kind of rises together, right? You know, there were a lot of businesses going, I don't need a website until they realize, oh, I need one. Because if I want to be searchable within the internet, I have to be on in that network, right? So, you know, I think every business, if you have a, um, you know, if you have a presence within the World Wide Web, you're going to need to evolve that presence into the spatial web. If you have an application within the app store or Google play, you're going to want to evolve that app into this, uh, you know, AI powered app store, just because it's going to open up so much more possibility and opportunity for what you can do, you know, as an organization, as a business, as an application. Um, and then also you're going to want to be searchable by the AI, right? So it's kind of interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how it evolves, but yeah, it, it's definitely going to take an, and you know, a few stages of evolution. It's you know always an exciting ride on the internet as it has been for my entire life. Um, how how far off do you think uh, we are to a full realization of a Web 3.0 view, and what sort of milestones do you think we should be looking for? I know Versus is planning on, uh, you know, they're they're opening up their Cosm operating system uh, to select beta, you know, developers later this year, um, like fourth quarter. And I know they're planning on launching to the public, uh, like end of the year, early January. And then obviously from there, it's going to take a little bit of time for people to kind of roll out and, and develop on it and get up to speed. But, you know, next year is going to be a big explosion of growth, but I really feel like we're going to be pumping in the space 2025, like 2025 is going to be the space where we're everything's changed. And, and the interesting thing with the active inference AI is, you know, like I told you, it can take small amounts of data and make it smart. And what it does is it, it creates this nested distributed, distributed network of intelligence with these nested hierarchies of spaces. And um, you've got multiple intelligent agents, these intelligent applications throughout the web that are all learning off of each other. So the intelligence within the spatial web, you know, it'll start out like the intelligence of a toddler and it'll grow and learn about the world and refine its world model of what it knows to be true and all of the you know, all of the, uh, the, its perception of the world. So it'll grow in intelligence. So that in itself is going to take a little bit of time to evolve. You know, at first, it's not going to be super um, apparent, the differences between the active inference AI and say machine learning AI. But the difference is 
the active inference will grow in intelligence, you know, and it'll grow in intelligence on real world intelligence based on what's happening in the world and updating, you know, so that's the part I feel that's going to like, we're going to notice that pretty quickly evolving. And Denise, where is the computational power and storage for this distributed network AI? I mean, in the traditional AI model, some computer or big cluster of com of compute servers trains a model and then that model gets deployed and different computers will inference against that model it's a much lighter weight process of course and so you may get inferencing on your smartphone but the model was probably trained on a supercomputer somewhere in this distributed model with uh spatial web and spatial web active inferencing where is the where is the computing happening? Is it happening on each of the devices in the spatial web? And where is the the retention, uh, the the storage of this evolving collective intelligence? Each spatial domain, you know, with all the objects and things within it that, like, say, take a warehouse or something like that, you know, like each each one of those spatial domains then becomes kind of a node within the distributed ledger technology of the spatial web. So you've got this common network, this universal network, but it's made up of nodes. And just like with um, blockchain, you know, blockchain, Bitcoin, you know, that's all distributed mm -hmm. ledger technology. So, you know, the, the information then becomes distributed within these nodes that are, that are holding information, but also, you know, you've got the AI that's aware and interacting with all of it. And so that's where you get consensus. That's where you get all of those beautiful things that happen within the distributed ledger technology. All right. So what, what are the kind of skills you think that people should be thinking about if they want to move into a Web3 era? Web3.0. Yeah, this is the Web3.0 future. Where What do we need to do? I don't know. You know, that's that's kind of a hard one because AI is moving so quickly and it's, you know, kind of redefining what skills are valuable as humans. Right. Um, but what I do know about this is that there will be a like you had said, a transition period. You know, we know that AI is going to be able to do a lot of the programming in the future, you'll be able to call things into existence, right? But there still is this period in between where the human is integral in that process as far as understanding developing languages and things like that. So, you know, there's still there's still a time period where those skills are going to be essential. Um, but what I what I would say to anybody who's really thinking about the spatial web and what they can do and how they can make a mark in it is I would start to really contemplate, you know, the idea of these intelligent agents, these intelligent applications that you can make and how they have this level of interoperability and what kinds of possibilities that's going to open up for us as far as developing apps. Because I think we can really, you know, we can say it, we can think like, wow, that's going to open up a lot of possibility, but I don't, you know, I'm in, I'm in this and I don't even know that we really understand what's coming, you know? So really stretch your mind and try to envision this augmented reality world, this blended reality world where we're enhanced by, you know, our physical existence and this digital twin existence, and then make those connections as far as what, what you might be able to create in that space. 
Denise, that's a great point for our listeners. This when, when we uh, for the Austin Forum months ago, we read the book, The Spatial Web, which is when you tuned in and we first met you. I've told everybody since then that whereas I'm an HPC and AI and beginning to be a quantum computing guy, the Spatial Web book was the one that was most eye-opening for me and, and made me think, oh my God, that's possibilities are endless of this Spatial Web when it's implemented. So super excited about it. Of course, we can't cover all of that in a 30-minute podcast. So final question, where can people go to begin learning more now? You said that you expect this to become bigger in 2024 and really blow up in 2025. Sounds like people need to start preparing now. Where can they go to learn more and keep abreast of the evolution of these spatial web and web 3.0 technologies? You can definitely visit my blog, deniseholt.us. Um, you know, it's an education blog. Basically, I do a lot of writing. You can access my podcast through there as well. And, you know, anything else that I, I'm, I'm doing in the space. And, you know, I'm, I, my goal is to kind of educate this transition mindset, because I, I know that there's a transition mindset in kind of understanding all of this. So you could definitely do that. You can also visit the spatialwebfoundation.org. Um, that is the organization that is developing the core standards around the, the um, protocols. And there's a lot of great resources there. And then obviously versus.ai. Um, you know, they are, they've developed all the technology around this. So um, they're an excellent resource as well. Great. Thank you for joining us, Denise. It's been great having you here. Really hope we can get you out to Austin sometime to present at our in-person events. I would love to. <laughs> we will, we will certainly uh, see you online more in the future, I hope, as this spatial web and web 3.0 becomes more and more real and implemented. And we'll look to you for some advice and insight. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.